0: Another episode of Almost Better Than Silence. I'm your host, Brenda McCullough. With me is Doug Coleman, as always, the lovely co host.
1: Aw, thanks for calling me lovely.
0: (laughs) And today we actually have a special guest, and one I'm happy to announce because he's on the East Coast, and we don't have to deal with these stupid time zone differences (laughs) like we do for every single interview.
1: Oh, that's fair. I don't blame everyone else, though. But yeah, we have Mike Ganade. How are you doing, Mike?
2: Good. How are you guys?
1: Pretty good. You're the co-founder of indiegamestand.com, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yep, yeah, that's right.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, glad to hear that somebody's in it for the game devs. Uh, would you like to talk about your website a little bit?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I guess for anybody out there who's not familiar with Indie Game Stand, uh, it's been around for a while now. We launched it back in, I think, September of 2012. And we started off just sort of as a daily deal site. So we spotlighted one indie game at a time. Uh, for a pay-what-you-want or a really good deal. Um, so we've continued on that trend. Every five days we have a new featured game that you can get for you know a dollar with a Steam key and everything else. Um, and then we also have a bunch of developer tools, a store, and a back-end. Um, so indie game developers can easily uh, set up and list their game on our site You know, in, the ma- in a matter of minutes, honestly.
1: Oh, wow. That's handy.
2: Yeah, you get that quick turnaround. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the biggest barrier to entry is just they have to fill out a quick, uh, you know, like, uh, application. And we just look all those over because, uh, believe it or not, we get a lot of spam. So I was just going to ask
1: that exact question. How much of it is actual junk?
2: Uh, there's a lot of junky, like, iPhone, Android, like, app developer, like, emails that come through every day. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, if you take those out, like, everybody who's, like, a legit person who fills out the application, it's probably, like, 95%. Of those people we let in, and then five percent either didn't give us an information or messed up the form or something, and then the rest is all just spammy like bots and iPhone, Android like pushers, app pushers.
1: Okay. Um. So what got you interested in this business and like how did uh what got your what got you started in uh, I guess web development and uh, providing people with uh, indie games for various prices.
2: Well, um, I mean, web development wise, I've sort of always, uh, you know, I have a minor in computer science. I've always sort of been doing it at different jobs and work. Um, and I've just gotten more proficient as the years have gone on, but, um, you know, I started IndieGameMag.com, which was a online magazine website covering indie games back in, I don't know, like 2008 or something. Um. So I started that website and sort of started connecting with indie developers, just trying to help promote them and cover their games, because, you know, there's there's a few indie game developers that get a lot of good press and really uh, get coverage, but there's a ton of indie game developers that are just sort of ignored by the mainstream uh, gaming industry and gaming media. So I created Indie Game Mag to sort of cover only indie games, and back in 2008, that's when. Everything was sort of taking off um, at the time, and I mean, it's changed a lot since then. Um, so once I got Indie Game Stand up and running, um, I, got, I, I moved on from Indie Game Mag and gave it to some other people who are still running it. I actually think it's really cool that that website still exists without me, because when I was running it, getting tired of running it, and wanting to move on, I felt like I was just going to have to like freeze the website, leave it as is, and just sort of leave it up as an archive of everything that had happened. But um, a lot of great people stepped up and have been continuing, continuing the coverage sort of as the years have gone on.
1: Oh, that's tremendous. Seriously, I've uh, I one of my mentors, John Somnes, he had a podcast where he kind of passed the the flame over to somebody else. And he was like, oh, you can carry this torch. But they kind of dropped it after a couple episodes, which is a a total shame when that happens. So I'm really grateful to hear that your uh, older website's still up and running.
2: Yeah, I mean, at least as far as I know, last time I checked, which has been a while, but I'm pretty sure it's, I mean, it definitely still exists. The domain's still up. That's Um, good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's
0: heartwarming when, you know, as a parent of something you created is able to walk on its own, even when you're not looking after it.
2: Yeah, I mean, Uh. um, in my opinion, uh, the old site design that I had was better, but, um, you know, the new one's sort of more like probably mobile friendly or something. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. that's
1: something you have to be aware of. They did—they did
2: change it. Like it doesn't look the way it did when I, you know, they definitely rehauled it. I mean, it was a WordPress site, so they just sort of rethemed it and picked something they liked or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's what our website is as well.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's still going. They put an article out yesterday. Excellent. See? There you go. Yep.
1: Cool. Well, then that's here's uh, a quick question for you. I mean, you—you you have to be in contact with like hundreds if not thousands of indie game developers over the years like what would you say are some of your favorite uh, uh developers that you've met and corresponded with and do you still stay in touch with them
2: um yeah i mean i guess um you know some of my longest friendships are with some of the indie game developers in the philadelphia region Okay. so um studios like cypher prime will stallwood and dane saint there um, i've known them for a long time i actually interviewed them in person for Indie Game Mag years ago. Um, and there's a lot of other developers in the Philadelphia Game Forge and Seam that I've sort of known. Um, but I have come across other people just at conventions or have interacted with us at Indie Game Stand. Um, so people like Joe Mirabella who did Tower of Guns and um, you know, Robobob behind Nomoria, um, some of those people who I've seen at conventions and sort of touch base with every year. Uh, I've had some really close friendships and fun times with as well.
1: Okay, that sounds... Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Wow, we're we're kind of based right outside of the Philly area. I didn't even know we had that many devs locally.
2: Well, I mean, we don't have any... The big thing that Philly's lacking is I think it's the only major city without like a AAA or larger game studio sort of supporting the indie game developer scene. Like it's literally all students and indie developers. Yeah. Oh. Uh. Like Boston, for example, has a bunch of college kids too, indie developers that are like college-age kids, but they also have like Harmonix and a few other big studios to sort of bolster the community and give some industry experience. Exactly. And in Philadelphia, that's sort of what we're lacking. Um, I mean, Cypher Prime is the most experienced. I think they've been around for, you know, over six years. Um, but they've had, you know, they've gone up and down. They've had some tougher times. And, um, you know, I remember at one point their, their studio was like five or six people. And now they're back to the two original founders again, oh wow, but they do have a game Forge there, which is sort of a co-op workspace, and there's a lot of other people in there um, you know, but I mean again it's we don't have anybody like notable um, like some other cities, obviously
0: yeah, yeah, nothing like a branch of Ubisoft or exactly uh, like Microsoft uh, or something like that
2: yeah, I mean even like baltimore and and washington d c area has um some big studios, I think. Oh
1: yeah, like Bethesda's. Uh, yeah, Bethesda.
2: So that's we're sort of stuck in the middle here, uh, without any major studio or industry support. so
0: <laughs> I feel like that's just a perfect summary of Philly and and general.
2: Yeah, there's a ton of like ones. healthcare, uh, like startup ventures and oh, pharmaceuticals, yeah. like tech stuff, but not a lot of game stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> absolutely can, right. We can save your lives, but it's not entertaining.
2: I think our biggest hit is like, uh, those touchscreens in bars, like,
0: oh, yeah.
2: That, that is based in the Philadelphia area. I think that's our biggest, uh, claim to fame right now. <laughs> if you played, like, this. Photo Hunt at a bar, that's, then you played a Philly, uh, <laughs> game.
0: <laughs> there you go. I forgot all about those. Um, but I know, uh, we've talked with DJ Cutman, who is local to the Philly area, and there's a surprisingly large amount of, like, video game music uh like artists and chiptune artists in this area
2: so oh, yeah i mean there's definitely you know uh a sort of like independent uh artist uh cooperative or or group in philadelphia for sure
0: yeah so hopefully with like conventions because i know the wizard world's a huge one and hopefully we can get you know maybe more video game centric conventions here and maybe we can grow and maybe that would attract a larger AAA studio to help development
2: yeah, I mean, it'd be great to have some more conventions on the East Coast. I mean, we have PAX East, which is great for Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever been to IndieCade East. I've heard of it. But basically, from what I've heard, is that it's a – I've been to IndieCade East and there have been to IndieCade proper in mm-hmm. California. But apparently, IndieCade East is just like a much lesser sad version of the, the West Coast version, which is like an amazing, huge party, event, festival type thing.
0: Oh. Uh, well. Maybe we're not missing out because I've heard plenty of stories from Dragon Con where it starts off like a regular convention and just turns into like Caligula, like just this weird like <laughs> drunken orgy of nerds and just kind of destroys the city for like a week. So maybe we don't want the biggest ones quite yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, we do have one indie one that me and Bren actually met for the first time in person at. It. It's called Too Many Games, and I'm most likely going again this year, hopefully.
0: Yeah, it's based out of Oaks, PA. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I've
2: been been to that. So is Cypher Prime. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been to it a couple times. I think Indie Game Stand actually had a booth at one point a few years ago. But, um, I mean, maybe it's changed, but I just felt like that uh, convention was very much about sort of like collectors of like older games and and getting like physical copies of games. Yes. Yeah,
1: I would agree with that. You know, bargain
2: bin hunting and sort of like sort of like the equivalent of a like, arts festival with, like, a bunch of booths and people, like, selling their old Game Boy games and, like, NES cartridges.
1: Yeah, that's a pretty good, uh, fair uh, summary.
0: Yeah, every other booth was, like, a guy's personal collection of a thousand, you know, games for the Sega Genesis or the <laughs> Yeah, or, floor. like, a
2: Sega Saturn connection or something.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: I mean, hell, I bought one for, like, two bucks and the guy's like, I'll give you another one, too, for free. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just, like, the Pennsylvania's biggest nerd yard sale all in one place. Yes.
2: I mean it'd be great if we if it was a little bit more if it had that but then it was a little more like PAX Easty where you had like game developers and people showing off their games mm-hmm. there. Yeah. And people interested in playing it, you know, and like but we're not quite there yet. No. Hopefully we can get there someday. I also hate how it's always over Father's Day
0: weekend.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's I unfortunate. Know,
0: I know for a long time me and my father would go to the Wizard World convention in Philly cuz it would be on Father's Day. It's like, well, let's just be giant nerds together. Uh, and I always have to keep him away from the cosplayers because he'd always try to sneak the photo or something. I was like, no, you're just, you don't want to be that dirty old man. You gotta, right. you know, either ask them for the photo uh, directly or, you know, not at all. Don't try to sneak it. <laughs> um, but I, I'm surprised with, cause I know at least out of my core group of friends, I'm the indie game guy. Like I play a, a lot of indie games, but like looking at indie game stand, like I know, maybe five of these <laughs> like there's a lot I realize I don't know.
2: Yeah, well I think what's happened in sort of the indie game scene is a lot similar to what happened in like the indie movie scene back in like the early 90s mm-hmm. which is that um you know there was a big surge people who were one or two development people uh some of them were really successful um but we've sort of got this like middle ground now where there's teams of like five or six people Sometimes they've been, like, laid off or left their job. Um, like, in the indie game industry, it's in the game industry as a whole. And um, there's sort of like this middle range. Like, they're an indie game in the fact that they're self-funded, but their budgets are a lot higher than, you know, sort of indie games were or have been in the past. Um, I mean, look, just as an example, look at sort of the infamous game Braid by Jonathan Blow. Mm-hmm. Um, That's sort of an indie game that hit really big and was made by only a handful of people. Um, And he took all the money he made off that game and he spent what, four or five years making Witness?
0: Uh, I think six actually.
2: Yeah, six, which is an indie game, but (laughs) I mean look at that indie game compared to even Braid, his own game, like years ago. It's not the same budget, you know, it's not the same game and group of people that worked on that game. I mean, it's obviously a much bigger scale. It's 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 not it's not Call of Duty, but it's all it's certainly not uh, you know some of these other indie games that we have on our site or sort of what started it all.
1: Sure.
0: Yeah, it's not one of the indie games where you see the credit list of who worked on it, and there's one name for yeah. every
2: single thing. The other thing that's happening in the space too is there's sort of become sort of like indie labels like Devolver, Devolver Digital, where these people who are in the game industry and had money have come in and are sort of buying up and publishing these indie games and bolstering them with marketing and support. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. I know um, some of the games, they spend you know plenty of time on the actual development of the games, but they'll also set aside a you know little pocket for a large amount of money for just the marketing, which could really make or break certain games.
2: Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I think Devolver Digital is one of the better, if not the best indie publisher out there um, just because they, They sort of pick a certain style of game, they sort of have a brand with what they pick, um, and they pick good games. So, I mean, I get it, and um, I like it. But I think that's sort of why someone who plays indie games has heard about games like that, but maybe hasn't heard about games, um, you know, that some 20-something made with two friends... Over the course of three years in his basement, you know, I was working a full-time job or something like that.
0: Yeah, I know we had the developers of Black Sea Odyssey on uh, a while ago, and their game just launched recently. And it didn't do as well. I know it didn't do as well as they were hoping for. And they were, I think they were still in college when they were developing it. And I think they just got out and are still, you know, just finished it. Right.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that like game working. has a lot of promise. So, I think they'll see the success that they deserve, but it is hard to get like your game in the front of the right people, I feel like. But I think that they might even be interested in uh, getting featured on Indie Game Stand or something. Who knows?
2: Yeah, I mean, we do our best to feature our game, feature people that use our site and send out newsletters and things like that, but you know, part of the problem over the past couple of years too, you know, sites like Steam which were sort of curated and exclusive have become sort of like an open marketplace and a platform,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it's sort of like the app store on the iPhone. Like it's a it's a race to stay at the top and get in the top lists. And you know, if you're going through green light and don't have a lot of marketing dollars and no one's heard of your game, you're going to quickly fall off that front page into obscurity. Um, but at the same time, Steam is like the app store. It has millions and millions of visitors, like looking at the storefront every day you know and our site can't compete with that we're a much smaller site on the plus side all of our users are specifically looking for indie games so they're probably more interested in what you're doing if you're an indie game developer than you know the the average steam user
1: yeah i see with certain games uh you can donate to a charity is that like uh just a certain percentage of, of games or like just dependent on the game developer
2: so that is um our featured deal: a, pros- a, p- a portion of the proceeds, if you leave the donate button checked, goes to a charity of that developer's choosing. So, oh, great! Um, when we schedule a deal, sort of spotlight for, um, sort of that pay what you want or dollar deal, um, that developer can choose a charity that means something to them. And if not, we have a bunch of charities that we sort of typically recommend or work with, like Able Gamers and uh, Child's Play, and things like that as well.
1: Yeah, I really love the the fact that how transparent you guys are about all of your information. For instance, you can scroll to the bottom and see the current stats of how many people have bought it, like the total payments and stuff. And uh, it's just really impressive. I love those statistics. It's, it's pretty nice.
2: Yeah, I think we're one of the few bundle sites other than Humble that still does that, actually.
0: Yeah, I know it's always heartwarming for me when I see like a uh, pay what you want site and you know you feel like everyone's going to just nickel and dime you and just pay the bare minimum to get whatever they can but then you'll see like the highest donor just pay like 100 or 200 300 over just cuz they know it's going to go to the charity so it's just their way of getting a game but also doing a big donation as well it's always nice to see um but I noticed on your uh on your AMA you did a while ago uh almost I think 2 years ago on Reddit uh, I saw you mentioned, uh, one of the few games I've actually played, uh, that you mentioned in there was Battle Block Theater and how you were actually kind of disappointed by it.
2: Oh yeah. Big time.
0: Yeah. And I, I was surprised by that because I played it with a buddy of mine and we loved it. But I realized it's because you and, um, whoever you were talking to in the Reddit post were following the development of that game and you were kind of excited because they were Behemoth Studios who did Casual Crashers and all that. Yeah. So I think it was, uh clear from my perspective where I wasn't really following it, I just kinda stumbled upon it one day and I loved it. I thought it was great. But if you followed it, you know, every day or week or month of development, I, I think I can kinda understand why you would be a little disappointed by
2: Yeah, I mean did you did you play uh Castle Crashers? I mean I think that's sort of
0: It kind of speaks for itself, yeah, when you compare the two. Um,
2: I mean I think I just think Castle Crashers is way better than Battle Block. It's not that Battle Block's like a terrible game. It's just that you know, it sort of, it just didn't live up to what you sort of were hoping it would be. It just sort of became like a platformer, you know, like another platformer game. Whereas Castle Crashers was like a great return to like the beat-em-up genre, and there's just like a lot of stuff to uncover and do. Battle Block Theater just sort of felt like a bunch of rooms with different, you know, platforming challenges.
0: Yeah, Castle Crashers kind of had that like, golden axe style of like the level, uh, 2D, like scroller, uh, where you fight with your friends and you're, you would get annoyed at your friends because they keep getting in the way of your axe and then you keep killing each other and over and over again. Um, but it also had its own style and little story to it. Whereas Battle Block, I know it came out before it, but Battle Block kind of reminds me of like Super Mario Maker, where it's kind of like, here's the standard, like, platforming level and there's a, you know, little puzzles in each one, but it's, you know, otherwise the same thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess I mean it's not it's again it's not like it's a bad game but it definitely was a letdown for me. On the plus side though the next game that they're working on the Behemoth's working on mm-hmm. is like a hex strategy tactics game like a oh, tactics ogre type game. Matt'll and love that, that game that game looks really good so uh oh. I've never played it cuz every time I've seen it at a convention there's been like huge lines and I've never wanted to wait but
0: oh I'm sure and that
2: looks that looks like it may not that they may be back, sort of up where they should be, In at least, in my opinion,
1: nice.
0: Yeah, that looks great. I didn't even hear about this. this. is the first I'm hearing about it, actually. But I can definitely see where you're going. It definitely looks like it's more elaborate, and there's more stuff to branch off yeah, with.
2: I, I don't, I don't know what the name of the game is, but it's pit. definitely like a hex thing.
0: Pit people? I think? Oh, oh, yeah, no. I'm not sure.
1: Something pit.
2: Last time I looked at it, it was like game number three. <laughs> the behemoth. <laughs> <game is like laughs> nice so or um four.
1: so quick question about your website it's like aesthetically i love the design it's great um so like what like is is that a wordpress site in and of itself
2: no 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 indie game stand was uh built from the ground up i mean it's php based like wordpress wow. okay. but it's not uh it's all home brewed
1: that's impressive and yeah that's honestly a much better way to go about it but um did you build that yourself or was that uh something you did with a team
2: so um the person who did all the web development initially um, uh, was a sort of friend of mine named Dan and he and I sort of founded the website back in 2012. And then a year, a year and changing or so um, we, uh, I bought him out and sort of took over development of the site.
1: Okay. Fair enough.
0: Yeah. I like that. It's um, kind of like the darker PAL scheme and not, like so many other ones, like uh, just looking right now, Reddit and LinkedIn, or it's just like blindingly white and you're instantly uh, backing away from the screen.
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't do the visual design. I used somebody, but uh, yeah, I'm happy with how it turned out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so that being said, uh, do you have, you said you had a minor in computer science. Did you ever have the desire to get into any game development and have you ever really dipped your toes in any of that? Uh,
2: I have, um, back before I started Indie Game Mag or during Indie Game Mag, I had a game, uh, like Solitaire game that came out on bigfishgames.com. So nothing fancy, but it was an indie game made by me, uh, made me, made me some money and I still get royalty checks every once in a while from that. Oh, cool. Uh, And the thing I've been working on recently, um, that I'm really delving into, um, I think mainly because it just sort of focuses on game design rather than coding and audio, um, freelancers, and all these other pieces you have to work together. Um, I I have made and developed my own uh, card game, like tabletop game. Oh, wow. Which got kickstarted on Kickstarter, and I've been in two indie megabooth showcases at PAX Prime, and I'm going to PAX East now, which was just that lineup was just announced today actually so I can actually talk about it now <laughs> cool. Uh, cool
1: exclusive so, no, kidding. <laughs> every,
2: yeah everything is uh, sort of coming along well and the the mass production is currently taking place in China and hopefully things will make it across the ocean sometime at the end of next month and then I'll get everything to my Kickstarter backers sort of the beginning of the summer uh, so everyone will start everyone will be sort of playing the game soon if they haven't been to the few conventions that I've been to
1: Cool. What's the name of the game, if you don't mind me asking?
2: Yeah, the the name of the game is Brass Empire. It's a deck-building card game. So I don't know if you guys play tabletop games, but if you've played games like uh, Ascension, Star Realms, or Dominion, uh, that's sort of the core basic mechanic. Um, And then it borrows some combat stuff from Magic the Gathering, or or you play on phone or computer, Hearthstone. It has some Hearthstone elements, too.
1: Cool. Oh
2: awesome.
1: Yeah, I'm a fan of tabletop. I only play I haven't played any of the ones you mentioned. I only really play like Talisman and I play it digitally now since it's on Steam, which is so much nicer than having to whip out an oh, old yeah. 80s I've board. Oh yeah. I played so. Talisman.
2: Talisman's Yeah, Talisman's a cool game. Oh, um, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, uh if you never played a deck building game, I actually um while I was at PAX South, um a friend of mine had was a huge Magic player and a huge Hearthstone player. Um had never played a deck-building game before, and, um, you know, we played a couple rounds of my game, and he, like, loved it. Excellent. Um, because, you know, if you're, if you're a Magic player, it sort of combines that drafting element, like in some tournaments, with, you know, playing against each other or head-to-head as well.
0: Oh, great. I always wanted to get more into, like, tabletop and card games, but I just, all of my friends that live around me have all, like, moved off to the corners of the world.
2: That so, is hard, yeah.
0: The and for, part. Me,
2: and for me, all my friends, you know, myself and my friends included, we all have like young kids now, mm-hmm. so it's hard. Uh, it's hard getting together somewhere where our kids can be asleep and we can like play a game for real, you know, for a couple hours or something.
0: Yeah, and then if you have like figurines and like Warhammer 40k or something, you no, don't I to do kids. not.
2: I do not get into that. That is way <laughs> too intense. <for> me. <laughs> yeah, and I well, like I like tabletop games that are you know under an hour yes (laughs) it's it's also sort of how i like my video games like multiplayer video games which is i don't like playing games like dota and those other mobas because the match of dota 2 is like what like an hour match at least 30 to you know at least 45 minutes to an hour
0: yeah yeah
2: you know in that in that hour time frame you can play what six matches of hearthstone
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think one of the newer games coming out is Paragon and I heard, like, the shortest a uh, match could possibly be is 50 minutes. And it's like, my, my god.
2: For me, it's just like, I don't have that kind of time.
0: hmm Agreed. And if
2: I, and if I do, I'd rather play, you know, a game like Halo or something like that where it's, like, much more actiony, because I don't enjoy just, like, clicking around, which is sort of the core mechanic of a lot of the MOBAs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But they're just too long in general and that's sort of how I feel about some board games. It's like, I... If a board game's over two hours, like, forget it. If I can play it in about an hour, that's, or less, that's great. Like, I love, uh, King of Tokyo. Oh, yeah. You guys have ever played that? It's actually made by the same, or designed by the same guy who designed Magic, I believe.
0: Oh, really? I didn't know that. Uh, that's actually my biggest complaint I would say about Talisman, is because sometimes me and Doug will play it, and it will just last for, like, maybe three hours.
2: I mean, if you guys are into, like, card games and have any love for Hearthstone or Magic, mm-hmm. one of the best card games I think exists that I've ever played is Netrunner, made by the same guy who made Magic, um, and it's awesome. Oh, wow, and yeah, I've never heard of it. There's this. a website you can play online, which takes, you know, if you play it sort of by yourself for the first few times, it's going to take you probably an hour to, to learn and play a match. Mm-hmm. But once you learn the course You can play online. There's like an open source version of Netrunner on like .net, and you can just play people online at any time. It's awesome.
1: That is really cool. I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah, I'm going to check it out as soon as we're done here. It looks really cool. Um, But I know initially, Mike, one of the main reasons we had you on the show is I found your article on um, how Steam keys are being resold and are really hurting the indie developer guys uh, specifically. Yeah, I
2: mean, it's hurting... I mean, when it's in our case, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's a whole another subject about Steam key reselling and whether or not it's good or fair. You know, I I have a strong stance on. You know, just as an example, if you're if you have bought a game on Steam, say it's on a Steam sale, and then you buy a Humble Bundle, and you already had one or two of those games on Steam, and you have one or two extra Steam codes. I'm not opposed to you being able to get some money out of reselling those keys necessarily. But in that case, you're selling the game and you're not profiting on it. You're just sort of subsidizing it similar to half.com or eBay or anything like that. Mhm. So in those cases, I don't have a strong sort of feeling against it.
0: Yeah, I noticed in the article you're saying like it's not, you know, it's not a bad thing if you can resell them because sometimes you get a bundle and you'll get you already have a copy of one of the games and in the bundles, another copy of the game. And if you could, you'd resell it. But uh, the problem is with the people that steal credit cards and like debit cards and stuff online and, you know, buy the bundles where they're cheaper and then resell them. So it's it's not the average consumer. It's the people who are already criminals stealing cards and then are stealing the games as well.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, the problem is that, you know people are stealing credit cards. They're stealing from the people whose credit cards they own. Mm-hmm. That money is getting filtered through our site. They're stealing steam keys from us. We're getting hit with fraudulent charges. And then we're either paying out developers for the stolen keys, or we're taking the money back from developers saying those were fraudulent charges, you know, yeah. and then everyone who's sort of trying to support the industry is losing. Yeah. And these people who are just trying to profit by selling steam keys for a couple bucks are basically, you know, laundering their money with uh. stolen information. Um, so, I mean, it's a huge problem. Uh, if anybody's interested in it, I think, uh, I think my article does a good job sort of talking about our problem and linking to a bunch of indie game developers and where they stand on it. Um, cause I certainly respect where they're coming from and understand where they're coming from. Um, And I tend to focus on the side that the reselling marketplaces are sort of as good intention as they may be. Ultimately, they're creating a sort of gray marketplace um, supporting this type of activity. You know what I mean?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I I definitely intend on putting a link to your article in the show notes because I'm I'm sure a listener, if they haven't uh, checked it out, they'd be interested.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. It's, it's, you know, what's crazy is how prevalent of a problem it became, like in the past year or so, since sites like, you know, since those reseller sites have gotten so much bigger, and have grown so much, how much bigger a problem it's become um, lately, um, especially in the past year, uh, in the past nine months, um, because it wasn't a problem we had when we launched the site back in 2012. Um, I mean, that's really surprising. And, you know, it also has taught us a lot about payment processors and how some are better than others when it comes to fraud protection and disputing charges and the fees associated with that.
1: Yeah. Um, Quick question. Uh, So how big of a team do you have going at Indie Game Stand? Uh, I'm not really sure how it works. (laughs) So,
2: um, I mean, it's changed over the years. We've had interns, we've had people come and go, but... Right now, the core team is myself. I'm sort of the lead developer. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have uh, Matthew Cangelosi um, is sort of our marketing guru and sort of pick, wears a lot of hats when it comes to uh, moderating the site and uh, tweeting and doing sort of social media stuff and newsletters and things like that. Sure. Um, so him and I have been working together on it for a while now. He actually was with us even when the old founder, Dan, was with us as well. Um, and when Dan left and I bought him out, we sort of switched roles where he sort of became more business development, which is what I was doing, and I became more development. Um, and then we have uh, Michelle, um, Matt's girlfriend, Has they actually met with her helping us out on the site, and, you know, they're they're now a couple. Um, <laughs> that's, that's adorable. She's still, she's still with us and helps us out a lot. Um, we have Jacob, um, who used to or or still does. He does the indies need booze parties at like paxes and stuff. <laughs> um, so he does stream. He does a lot of streaming stuff for us, and he's got a couple other friends and teammates who do streaming um, on our on our on our indie game stand streaming uh, Twitch stream. And um, he also uh, helps sign up game developers for our featured deal. Um, and then finally, we have Constantinos. from Greece, who used to write for indiegames.com blog. He still may do a few things, actually, for it. He's been in the indie scene a really long time, and I think I probably originally ran across him um, back when I started Indie Game Mag. Um, But he helps us uh, sign up games for our deals, um, and then also is sort of in charge of recruiting developers for our free section, which is a relatively new part of our website. So we have free indie games that can be uploaded and hosted on our site as well. We added that in the past six to nine months. I'm not sure exactly um but that's sort of a part of our site that's really been growing and that we sort of want to focus on. so:
1: yeah, I also see you guys have a an active forum area that's awesome, so uh people that come to the site can actively like s- suggest games and other things.
2: yeah it it's been more active in the past, but you know it's still there every once in a while I look at it and I think about redoing it and make, making something a little more updated or streamlined, but there's the old PHP BB forum is still up there and, and it, it's definitely works and people are still using it.
1: Cool.
0: Have you guys ever paired with, uh, Ludum Dare or the game jams? Cause I know you, uh, recommended, uh, aspiring game developers in your, uh, AMA years ago.
2: Yeah. Um, we've never done anything official. I mean, uh, Ludum Dare has just started thinking about doing sponsorships and things like that, but I don't think they've actually done anything yet. Um, We just pushed out a tagging system on our site. Like, literally, it's sort of been in the back end for developers for a few months, but we just sort of pushed it to the public recently so people can search by game tags and things like that. Um, And that's sort of what I, I think that's sort of the final step to doing a more comprehensive game jam because you can... You know, all the game developers could tag their games, ludum dare thirty five or something, and we could have a page where everyone could see all those games. Um, so that is definitely something we want to work on. Um, we've done stuff in the past locally. There's a university that has a game dev program here um, in the Delaware area at Wilmington University, and we did a game jam party with them once, where they had a they did a game jam. They uploaded the four or five games they made on our site. And then um, we had people vote on them and declared like a winner at a party, you know, like a week or two later. Oh, that's awesome. I think if you go to our free section and you go to like top rated, I think some of the top rated games on there are still from that jam. Yeah, the second one, Priscilla, Priscilla Fate and the Dark, the Dark Killer is a game jam game from that, and so is Blind Blades. Oh, really? That's great. Um. Those were those were like the two winners from the jam competition because they got the most votes and the highest star ratings. But because they have so many ratings, sort of with the way the top rating sorting works, they're still always up there. Because mm-hmm. obviously, you know, you don't want someone to be able to upload their game rated five stars and then be number one just because they have one vote. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. take into account sort of the average rating of a of a lot of people.
1: Um, well, I, speaking of which I, I noticed on your website, so you can go in and buy games individually, but you also have this like s- monthly subscription option. And I was just curious, like, how dedicated are is your fan base? Do you have a lot of people doing the annual th- thing or quarterly or probably I would assume most people are doing the monthly subscription?
2: People are definitely doing the quarterly or annual
1: over the monthly. Excellent, that's good to hear. Well, obviously, seeing how much you save, it it makes the most sense. But I wasn't sure, like pa- yeah.
2: partly, partly because I think I think also partly because with the quarterly and the annual, we also offer um, PayPal.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah, and that's that's um, a major place for me. Versus
2: Stripe. So I mean, some of it may be because of that. Okay. Because um, I know some people who are on. Like the annual plan from when we first launched it. When we first launched it, we had Stripe only, and people who were on the annual plan, whose sort of subscription was running out, like in February and March, because we launched it like about a year ago, switched to PayPal annual just because they like, like it was easier for them, you know.
1: Yeah, I personally, I'm I've had uh, experience with both, and I just like uh, PayPal, and I always prefer to use that as my online payment method if possible.
2: Yeah. I mean, I like them a lot because they have they've been around the longest and they definitely have like the best platform when it comes to protecting a seller side of things with fraud and everything else. Exactly. I mean, we've been hit by fraud on Amazon and Stripe way worse than we were hit on PayPal.
1: Jeez. And that's another thing. Like, do you I don't know how frequently you would have to deal with something like this, but do you experience like hacker attacks like uh, denial of service and stuff?
2: Um, we do, but, I mean, we've been using Cloudflare, which is sort of built to deal with DDoS service, so...
1: Okay. When
2: it, when it happens, it's pretty obvious. Like, the site runs slowly, or there's SQL locking up, and Cloudflare will let us know, and we can you can just sort of turn it on, you know, sort of an off-and-on switch, where you can just tell Cloudflare we're under attack. Oh, and nice. And they'll instantly do this little thing where they basically have a little javascript detection thing in your browser for like a few seconds so like if you went to our website you have to wait two seconds why it just sort of was checking before it lets you in uh just because it's sort of scanning your browser and making sure you're not like running a script or a robot or something
1: gotcha okay um, well that's a nice so i mean uh, when it, it
2: it has happened but when it happens it's sort of like it's sort of just you go you log into cloudflare you turn the you turn the sort of put the shields up to max um I mean, the shields, Cloudflare is always on and always, it's always going through our site. But if there's an attack, you can tell Cloudflare to sort of be like really nasty to visitors and like super diligent. You just sort of put the shields up, wait till the attack goes down and then
1: turn it off. Uh, that whole time you were explaining that, I'm uh, picturing you in the Millennium Falcon and it's like shields up. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Why.
2: I mean, it's just annoying. It's like, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like it's an it takes a lot of our time away or anything like that. It's just an annoying thing where it's like, you know, imagine well, if you guys were playing a video game in the luxury of your home and you get like an email that's like, oh, you're getting attacked. Exactly. Still, <laughs> you just what... have to like log into your Cloudflare account on your phone, your iPhone, click, you know, click I'm click under attack, you know, wait until the threats go down because they have like statistics and analytics that they show you and then switch it off again. So it's just sort of an annoyance more than anything.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I asked, because I was just curious uh, how frequent something like that happens as you get more uh, traffic. Because, I don't know, our website has yet to en- endure anything like that, knock on wood. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, I-, I was just curious as to, yeah, how frequent that would happen.
2: Yeah, I mean, since we've been talking about the fraud, we've definitely been targeted more than... yeah. I mean, immediately after any article or any mention of it, you know, we've gotten attacked pretty much because they're predictable and they're infants that want to, you know, want to make you pay for talking shit on them or whatever. Oh, yeah. When I'm not even talking shit on them, it's just sort of like, why? Like, you're obviously not a nice person that you're, like, stealing from a small team of, like, six people and developers that are making less and less on Steam you
1: know, definitely. Yeah, I, I'm just really grateful that there's are people out there like you that do have like uh, a, a, a good heart and essentially and like, yeah, have the game developers in mind because they are the ones I feel like at the end of the day getting the most screwed over.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, it's not Valve that's getting screwed over. You know, it's not PayPal or Stripe or these payment processes that you're screwing over. It's the people that are getting, you know fraudulent charges and chargebacks on their accounts, you know, and paying fees and everything else.
1: Yeah. That
0: that reminds me of what I was going to say earlier. Um, a lot of, I don't know if it would necessarily be controversy, but a lot of talk has been going on with, uh, one indie game that's gotten, uh, definitely fame, uh, famous is a relative term, but definitely more popular, which is that dragon cancer. And, um, from people who have been doing let's plays of it on YouTube. And it's a very story heavy game. Like there's, there's not, much gameplay. It's not like a shoot 'em up or a fight or anything. It's very story-focused. And by doing a Let's Play of it, it's kind of telling the story without people paying for the game, so they can just kind of like... It's like uh, watching a movie that's playing at Best Buy. You can just sit there, watch it, but never give money back to the developers. Um, But I know with that game specifically, a lot of the money that gets paid to them, they go to a charity like for cancer research and stuff. But one guy that got particularly screwed over was the composer of music and stuff in the game. Because some people would just upload just the soundtrack from that Dragon Cancer and nothing else. So right, because
2: they're like ripping it from YouTube or something.
0: Exactly. So without, I believe they've said they've gotten, like they've seen videos and Let's Plays of it that's gotten millions, if not a hundred million views on YouTube. But almost no money has ever gotten to them, if any at all.
2: Yeah, I I, I know that game and I've actually, uh, I'm pretty sure they've like struggled.
0: Yeah, I definitely i would love to support them if there was like an alternative way because i don't know if i could play the game i don't know if my heart is strong enough to actually play through that whole game but yeah, it's
2: definitely uh
0: i would definitely love to like help them if there was like i mean i might buy the game and just not play it it's definitely
2: an uplifting game you
0: know yeah it's uh it's heart-wrenching but there's also like a documentary about it but it's it's amazing to see because obviously not everyone who's watched the less plays of it would have bought that game but it's still maybe enough people who were you know it's since it is so story focused do you think that less plays and like you know video commentary on youtube are kind of hurting some of these very story rich games especially That's when interesting.
2: it's interesting i mean the, i i know that dragon cancer has uh you know definitely sort of suffered and had a hard time um sort of even had a hard time throughout its development process with funding mhm um I I haven't heard about any about these let's plays and things hurting it directly. I mean, typically, of course, you know, most of the time, like when people are watching YouTube videos and things like that, it's just helping drive people to want to play your game, right? So yeah. it's never been a problem before. Um, but I've never thought about it more from an interactive fiction sort of side of things, where if your game is sort of story-driven and the gameplay doesn't matter that much. You know, our sales going to be hurt by people just watching the story play out. Um, I guess the only thing I heard is, you know, that game Firewatch.
1: Yeah, you know, that's, getting uh, Steam,
2: Steam refunds on that
1: um well it's funny i actually uh i can't play the game i purchased it and i'm getting a steam uh missing uh, executable error and i've been contacting support and they it's just all to no avail it's kind of unfortunate because i really want to play the game but i didn't even go through the process of a refund because i'm just still praying i'll figure it out eventually
2: yeah or you can get a new computer and it could work or something eventually
1: yeah who knows
2: i mean that's sort of i mean i've heard of that problem um i mean it is sort of interesting and i wonder if 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 that dragon cancer is getting that many views with like let's players and stuff i wonder if they should if game developers that have games like that should sort of make almost a movie version of their game that they put on their own youtube channel beforehand you know
0: yeah because i've noticed with some indie games where some people find that the story is the easier part of writing it than it is composing the entire game around it and coding everything or writing the music for it like because they could just sit in the room by themselves and knock out a story in like a certain in a few days. So I um, mean,
2: for me personally, I don't I don't really understand it. Um, you know i I play video games to experience them and play them myself. So the whole like let's play phenomenon and everything else like that and Twitch even like it's sort of I don't know if I'm just too old to understand it or whatever. But um, the only thing I've ever been interested in watching are like really competitive. Like, clips, like, mm-hmm. from competitive games where, like, crazy stuff happens. Um, oh, but so but much never, crazy. have you know, never sat through, like, a story-driven click-and-play game to watch it or anything like that.
1: Oh, yeah. that's, that's understandable.
0: Yeah, I'm just wondering with games that are... Because there are these kind of new genre games, like the walking simulators, where not much really happens. It's just a pseudo interactive story it's telling it's it's kind of less of a game and more yeah i mean
2: it's a really good point it's i mean it's a really good point i certainly can see how it could be a problem because if you just care about experiencing the story and you don't really care about playing um you can watch it for free on youtube so why wouldn't you you know Mm -hmm. yeah
1: i think people could feel the same way about like well life is strange is such a story driven game they could literally watch it and never need to play the game
0: yeah, I would argue for that one though because your choices affect the story.
1: Oh, true. So if you're watching someone and they make a choice that you didn't make. I see. Okay.
0: Mhm. But I'm wondering if like maybe they should have like a spoiler section to YouTube stuff where like if it is such a story heavy game, you can only show up to like halfway or so. That Ugh. way it still entices people to watch it instead of just, you know, you see a 15 part let's play of that Dragon Cancer and you just watch the last one to see the ending. So um, I would love to see if there was like a way to stop that especially with the story heavy ones but uh i don't know maybe maybe it would have to be its own new genre of like visual novel or interactive novel instead of a you know quote video game
2: i mean the other thing too is there's games that have done well like heavy rain was a pretty story driven game Mm -hmm. oh i loved it
1: that you could just watch i guess yeah you definitely could
0: yeah it's it's tricky now with all these New games, but I also, think
2: ultimately you've got to compel the consumer to want to buy and the, play the game and experience it themselves. I think. So, you, I think games like that, Dragon Cancer and Firewatch, are probably more the exception than
1: the rule. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that because seeing something like something interactive, like Casual Crashers, you you want to play it yourself. You want to do those things.
2: But there probably is something in those few games that are experiencing that that are that are missing something or, you know, like why is that dragon cancer? Why do people not want to buy that game and play it and just want to watch it on YouTube, but they'll play like you were mentioning before heavy rain. Is it because just cause you have a few choices and it's a little choose your own adventure and they want to make their own choice and see all the different possibilities. You know what I mean?
1: Potentially. I also think the context, why part... does, why do telltale games sell, sell, so well? Yeah. yeah. That's a good point.
2: Um... I'm saying like, it's definitely a game design thing probably that we're missing or, just something about the game just not being compelling enough to sell copies. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's sad and it sucks.
0: Yeah. Especially
2: I, when that Dragon Cancer like has like what probably like a ninety percent plus rating.
0: Yeah, and it's just going to such a good cause, and uh, the developers have just been through so much shit as it is. Like, yeah. Uh, it's it's especially hard because of that game and because of what they've been through. Like Firewatch, it sucks, but that one really hits hard. Oh, man. Right.
1: Um. I just want to play
2: it. <laughs> Have you guys looked up on drag, Dragon Cancer how many copies it sold on Steam Spy.
0: Uh, I can check that real quick.
2: Yeah, they've only sold like fifteen thousand copies.
0: That's what I mean. They they've said that they've gotten almost no money back at all. So I'm wondering. And that's
2: after like a Kickstarter. Like you figure of those fifteen thousand, of like a thousand of them are probably Kickstarter backers.
1: Yeah, at least.
0: Yeah, it's it's so confusing. But I'm wondering if it's because. I mean, I haven't played my, that game myself, but I'm wondering if it's because it's so story heavy, and if there really is that much gameplay to it, it, or is it just interacting with, you know, elements in the story? Or can you actually choose and decide different things, or, you know, do something that makes you want to experience it yourself? Yeah. Cause, but it's also because it's such a sad game, not many people want to experience like yeah, I mean, I mean, that's I mean, personally, it.
2: that's why I haven't done it. I mean, my daughter's not even two years old yet, and like, As a new dad, I'm just not ready for that game right now. Like, when it came out, my daughter was an infant, and, you know, even now, she's still so young. It's just like, I'm not, I can't do that right now. (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Too much.
0: I broke down crying at the beginning of The Last of Us, like, you know, before the title sequence. like so, And that was maybe 30 minutes, if that. So I can't imagine doing a whole game of it, but, you know... Like we said, we you know we would love to help the devs because it's just such a city situ- situation they're in. But you know, maybe this is something gamers are no, really good people
2: too. I've I've seen them at packs and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: I think this is just a new problem we'll have to think about especially there's it. always
2: shit happening to indie game developers that's the moral of the story there's always, there's always unless something. you're like a big unless you're like a big evil corporation there's always something shitty happening to you yeah, <laughs> basically
1: that's why they need the support and that's why i'm sure they're all grateful to have uh you and your website and all that you guys provide to the community
2: well there's thanks a- guys i appreciate you guys having me and letting
1: me chat with you and uh, talking about game stuff and everything else oh without a doubt um is there anything Happy to have you on yeah you'd like to plug specifically maybe like a twitter account or anything like that we obviously talked about indiegamestand.com enough but we'll have links to everything uh in our show notes. yeah I
2: mean, I mean i would say that of all of our social media channels twitter is the best okay um just because um i i mean it's just sort of the social media platform we i've always liked so because of that it's always been our strongest um but, you know, we'll push out, like, free games that we like, that we see pop up on our site that we think are cool. Um, we're always sort of linking to cool and other just indie game stories and stuff too. Um, you know, like, just looking at our tweets today, we, we tweeted about a couple free games, a couple new games. We talked about Pokemon Go. We talked about a stream coming up. We're going to interview a developer. We talk about new features. We'll call out sales. So, I mean, if you're interested in video games and indie games... It's definitely a good Twitter to follow, and we're really good about replying on that one in particular. So at IndieGameStand on Twitter is great to follow. Um, But if you like Facebook or anything else, we're basically on everything. Um, So if you go to our website, IndieGameStand.com, you can certainly pick whichever social media platform interests you the most.
1: Oh, excellent! Awesome, and yeah, we really can't thank you enough for coming on our, our program, um, uh, listener. If you enjoy our show, please give us a like or follow on Facebook and Twitter as well. Our handles: abt silence. Um, I personally am streaming every Tuesday and Thursday at Twitch.tv/slash abt silence. Um, how about How about you, Bren?
0: I'm just on Twitter at abts
1: Excellent. Um, anything we want to add before we wrap this up? If
2: you want a really awesome uh, vertical side scroller where you've got Crimson Clover World Ignition on sale for another 76 hours for only like a buck.
1: All right, awesome. I don't Uh, know if that'll be on sale by the time we get it, but if anyone (laughs) is interested in it, I still recommend checking out.
2: Well, there'll always be something new there, too, you know, and you can always, you'll always be able to grab in our store something else, too.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely going to be checking out some of uh, your deals as uh, the days progress and also that uh, card game you mentioned.
2: Yeah, sign up for our newsletter. I mean, that's always crucial because I know people don't visit sites every day and don't keep track of stuff every day, but our newsletter is great and we we send it out with every new deal. So you won't miss a deal if you sign up for the newsletter and then we always will push a cool free game or something else just going on at our site in the bottom. So it'll be like, here's a new game that's on sale for a buck or 25 cents. And then here's this cool free game that you may want to play if you so if you feel so inclined. So,
1: hell, can't beat that. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again yeah. and uh I guess we'll get, see you guys next week.
2: Bye.